politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great nation to look at the impact of what happened today with President Trump's arraignment. Uh, with the uh, details being announced of scheduling on pre-trial hearings and the trial and limitations. And with all of this going on, is it true that uh, Trump can't win? Uh, not a chance, says Rich Lowry of National Review. He's the editor-in-chief of the most influential conservative publication in the country, and he has a controversial piece that was just posted over at Politico.com under the heading, Trump actually has pretty good odds of getting back to the White House. Uh, Rich Lowry is the author of The Case for Nationalism. He is the editor of National Review. Uh, Rich, uh, what do you say about a, a new poll just published today? And it's a Reuters-Ipsos poll. It says that nearly half of Republicans say they will not vote for President Trump if he were convicted of a felony. And 52% wouldn't vote for him <laughs> if, if he was in prison on Election Day. Uh, well, we'll see. Your, I'll believe it when he's in prison. I'll believe it when he's in prison and they actually don't vote for him. <laughs> I, I just think, uh, you know, we'll see. I, I went, my mother passed away a couple of years ago, my dear mother, but she lived in Virginia and in 2016 didn't like Hillary or Trump. She's a Republican, but, you know, kind of a relatively moderate, moderate one. And I remember she asked me, Richie, you know, who should I vote for? She voted early because she was um, getting up there. And I was, I was like, I'm not, I'm not saying you should do this. But Evan McMullen's on the ballot if you want to vote for someone else. You don't want, like Hillary or, or uh, Trump, and you don't want to vote for Hillary. And she said, so okay, oh, great. She voted for Evan McMullen. And then like a, a week before the election, she's like, who's that idiot you had me vote for? I want to vote for Trump. You know, there's this swing at the, at the end. So um, we'll see. I, I, um, you know, he, he, I don't think he's going to be in jail on, on Election Day. Um, I think he has a very good chance of winning the nomination. He's not a lock, but, you know, it's, it's a, a strong chance. And once you win the nomination – you inherit about 45% of the vote and at least 200 electoral votes, and you can build from there. And even if the odds are against him, if he's a nominee, let's say like it's a 70-30 pro-Biden play, 30% chance things happen all the time. If you're a baseball fan, a good hitter gets a hit about 30% uh, of the time, and you're not shocked yeah, when it happens. Really good hitter. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody, somebody with a 300 batting average is a big all-star today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, especially today. Yeah. And okay. So uh, we've established, uh, by, by the way, if it's a baseball player, uh, do you know that Ron DeSantis had an over 300 average when he played Ivy League baseball for the Yale Bulldogs? It's impressive. Uh, yes. There's, there's, there's a history <laughs> of uh, Republican nominees playing baseball for, uh, for Yale. Yes, because you have George Herbert Walker Bush also was captain of the Yale baseball team. But in any event... Uh, back to President Trump and his chances of winning. I read your piece, and as usual, it's smart and it's well-argued, and there's not much to disagree with here, except your assumption is that the candidate for the Democrats is 100% going to be Joe Biden. And for reasons that you even acknowledge in your column, I still think it's possible 
And some would even say it's likely that Joe Biden will not be the Democratic mm -hmm. nominee. Uh, and, and you mentioned the idea if he has some kind of fall, serious fall or yeah. a health emergency uh, or if the economy does not have a soft landing, if it has a hard landing. Uh, don't you think that uh, Democrats uh, are still at least this this whole idea? What's the story with this debate now between Gavin Newsom and Ron DeSantis? They both have nothing better to do. Yeah. So it's definitely there. There's some chance that Biden is not the nominee. I didn't get into that because uh, uh, it's almost 900 words or whatever it is. It's fairly long for a column, but still you just can't get into everything. Um, but I do think it's it's less that Biden is like the uniquely strong candidate who can defeat Trump now, I think, as as Democrats have traditionally thought about it. It's more like Biden needs Trump to win. You know, uh, he's he's uh, Biden's desperately unpopular, but Trump is just as unpopular. Biden has this, this growing uh, scandal where we, we uh, you know, the, the gun is looking a little smokier every day, practically. But, you know, Trump has his own ethical problems and biden is 80 years old and trump 77 now trump is and, and seems much more uh, robust but biden needs trump to kind of cancel all that out and i think if you put up a desantis a, a tim scott or someone else um you know unless the economy is going gangbusters i think they'd have a pretty good chance of they'd, they'd have a let's put it this way a much better chance than than trump of winning well you 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 actually say in your column that trump remains the riskiest choice for republicans I, I would, would even go further than you. I mean, in, in other words, if you think about another Democratic candidate, whether it's a Gavin Newsom or it's a Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan, or someone who is younger and less sullied and uh, doesn't have a son named Hunter, uh, doesn't uh, Trump really need Biden to be the nominee for Trump to win? Probably. I mean, this this is why it's very much like 2016. You, you got um, two candidates who are, are very bad, uh, each in their own way, and need the other to have a, a decent chance of of winning. And Republicans concluded, I think, wrongly, since Trump won in 16, it was such a surprise. They're so glad to be done with the, the Clintons that he was some sort of electoral juggernaut when, when he drew the proverbial inside straight and had this very narrow path to victory. They just happened to, to tiptoe along and get to the finish line. And then same thing with Biden in 2020. You know, all right, he's this unique Trump slayer, but he, he barely won. You know, he won handily in the popular vote. But, um, you know, 10,000, 20,000 votes go the other way in several key states, and it would have gone the other way. <laughs> so uh, uh, both in 16 and 20, Trump and the Democrat have been propped up by their own, by the weaknesses of the other side. And if, if we get a rematch in 24, I think that'll be true again. What about the impact of the uh, most recent uh, indictments of President Trump and particularly the response of the Trump legal team and Trump himself? He sent out a truth social today uh, addressing Mike Pence. And uh, basically, it, it, it makes it sound like he's going to use the forthcoming trial as a means of going back over the whole election of mm -hmm. 2020 and making the case that, yes, it was a stolen election. Not only did I believe it was a stolen election, yep. but I was right. The election was stolen. Is that going to help his campaign? No. Uh, you know, a, a trial would uh, uh, presumably 
hurt him just because all this stuff would be litigated. That's not helpful. I think Trump's best case was that things were good when I was president, and, and I can do that again. And the, the, uh, the guy who replaced me has, has um, messed it up big time, which I, which I think is, has the advantage of being true. Um, the, the weakest argument is, oh, gosh, I really won in 2020. And the candidates who said that last year in the midterms generally – lost. It's, it's something um, most people, they, they just uh, agree or disagree. They don't want to uh, hear about or focus on you know, the electorate tends to be future oriented. So I think this, uh, it, it was no doubt it'd be, it'd be very bad uh, for, for Trump, uh, a trial. We've already seen the effect of these indictments. You know, they've drained his political operation of money because it, it's all been spent on legal fees. And if these trials actually happen, you know, it's going to be a um, not just take up resources, it's going to take up his time and his, his uh, mental energy. So, so none of that's good, but there's a chance they get put off um, after the election. There's a chance some of these charges get thrown out, and there's even a chance of, of acquittal. And someone was saying this the other day. I forget. Uh, I think it was, it was some Democrat. It's just people need to think about what would happen if there's an acquittal. <laughs> you know, that would be a huge boost to Trump. Uh, it, it would be, but that's if they get a trial done before Election Day. Uh, what would it mean if he's facing four or five different trials during the first months of his presidency? We'll get to that and more with Rich Lowry of National Review coming up on The Medved Show. With uh, Rich Lowry from National Review, he has a, a balanced, sane uh, and very persuasive piece that says Trump actually has pretty good odds of getting back to the White House. And that's based on the idea that once you have the nomination of a major party, uh, that means it's not doesn't take a bolt out of the blue. One of the two major party nominees is going to win this thing. And uh, it does appear that President Trump is heavily favored to actually win the nomination for the Republicans. Let me ask you, Rich Lowry, because you think about everything, you write about everything. Uh, have you given some consideration to what would be a very important decision for President Trump to make, either right before the convention at some point or, of course, at the convention, which is who his running mate is likely mm -hmm. to be? It's not going to be Mike Pence. You agree? No, it's, it's not going to be Mike Pence. I thought about it a, a, a little bit. I'm not sure I have uh, flashes of original insight. I just tend to think it's going to be someone more mainstream than a Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, the controversial um, politician, congresswoman down in Georgia, or Carrie Lake, the failed Arizona gubernatorial candidate will probably run for for Senate again. You know, wouldn't shock me if he like takes takes a look at a, a Tim Scott or something something like that. Um, but it may be, you know, if this race continues the way it looks now, that will be the main drama, you know, not not whether Trump's going to be taken down or not in the primaries. What uh, uh, have you heard this idea floating around, which I find horrifying, uh, but uh, that uh, Trump would actually pick someone who's very popular in the polling among Republicans, uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr.? Mm. Yeah, I I just can't. I can't see it. Um, you know, uh, he, he's, he's popular in certain right-wing circles. He, he has positions that are absolutely 
abhorrent to um, and, and a, a lot of conservatives and, and Republicans, you know, pro-lifers. Trump, you know, he's, he's very transactional, but he's very focused on his base. He knows that the things he can't cross his base on are, are life uh, issues and guns and um, judges. And he's not going to put someone on the ticket, I think, who's in another place on all those things. And, you know, Trump's not a young man. We just talked about there's some potential he's the next president of the United States. And if something happens to him, really, Robert Robert F. Kennedy is going to inherit the mantle. So I understand the chatter, but I I can't see that. Okay. And and what about the idea that one of the things that makes President Trump, I I think, uh, the vice presidential a choice being more important than than ever is because President Trump is 77 years old. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't know anything about his health, really, because he has not been transparent about releasing health records. Uh, and and there is a possibility that at least one or two or maybe as many as three of these legal proceedings against him uh, is going to continue when he becomes president and he he can pardon himself presumably uh from some of the federal charges but there's state charges that are pending yep. also uh what does he do if if you're president of the united states and you're expected to sort of show up at a trial for uh with under state law for paying hush money to uh to porn stars yeah. I mean, Sunshine of Territory, it's a very bad place for the country to be. That's why I think these pro- prosecutors should have for, for um, should have shown forbearance. I also think Republicans should nominate them. But uh, neither, at least one of those things hasn't happened. It seems like the other's not going to happen either. So he would pardon himself and or, or just order his Justice Department to drop all the federal charges. So that would take care of that. But then, you know, what happens if he's down the road with the – he's been convicted of the Bragg uh, and the, the Bragg charges, which I think are, you know, ridiculously shoddy. But New York jury, jury you never know. And then we have a, uh, a charge com- probably coming from Fulton County as well. It's, it's the reason yeah, well, why for the, the Justice Department has a guidance. What's that? And for racketeering the charges from Fonnie Willis, that's what she says, that uh, there's supposed to be like 20 people who are going to be indicted. Yeah, um, it it sounds like a stretch to me, but there's a reason why the Justice Department has guidance that you can't um, indict a, a, a sitting president because then you get one prosecutor who has the, the power to hobble a presidency, and so in our constitutional scheme, it's, it's Congress that has this this power via in, impeachment. But we could be again in this uncharted charted territory that's just uh, almost impossible to fathom. Okay. The the other thing you were talking about why Robert Kennedy is uh, unacceptable mm-hmm. to so many Republicans, and one of the reasons is because he is uh, very much on the Putin side of things regarding Ukraine. Uh, how how does Trump finesse that? Because you mentioned people like Tim Scott. Tim Scott has been a big supporter of American aid to Ukraine. Uh, Trump, uh, not so much and uh, big, uh, loud voices in the Republican Party, uh, not so much. How does the president finesse that in a race against Joe Biden? 
Well, he can uh, pick a, a Veep who's been on the, the same side of uh, him uh, in this debate, or if he picks a Veep who hasn't, the, that Veep will instantly change his or her mind and say how Trump was totally right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he or she will totally defer to him. I think it's Trump, it's, it's interesting, you know, obviously uh, saying you're going you know, to make peace and you can do it in 24 hours is ridiculous. But I think and he, he said this in an interview the other day, and some of the isolationist right was kind of um, uh, criticizing him for it. You know, if if uh, Putin doesn't go along with whatever the scheme would be to end the war immediately, he said he'd give Ukraine more than it's ever gotten. Uh, and since I think it's unlikely that Putin would go along with whatever Trump was, was doing, I just wonder if he's president, if we wouldn't end up with something like the current policy uh, we have now. Um, where, where we're, you know, uh, supporting Ukraine because the alternative is just it, that it would uh, potentially collapse. One thing you did not mention in your column about Trump's odds of getting back to the White House is something that has been obsessing a lot of people on the left, which is the idea of no labels. If uh, they run a Joe Manchin or a Larry Hogan for president, uh, that would probably help the Republican side a lot, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think that's another downside risk for Biden. Downside risk for Biden are health, the economy, the scandal, and some sort of independent or third-party candidate that siphons votes from him. Right. Uh, other than the uh, very formidable Cornell West, the very formidable <laughs> Rich Lowry, who is editor of National Review, uh, his piece uh, a lot of Republicans will find very encouraging uh, under the heading, Trump actually has pretty good odds of getting back to the White House. So how do we get back to sanity with the Washington state system of education? Uh, we'll be speaking to the Washington Policy Center uh, about why it is that so many parents have been turning away from public schools and what you can do about maybe building a better system of public education. Uh, we will get to that coming up on the MedVet Show. The Michael Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved Show, not all good news here in the great Northwest. In the state of Washington, private school enrollment has jumped by 25%. What that means is parents are fleeing our public school system. Why? And what do we do about it? Uh, Liv Finney is the director of the Center for Education at Washington Policy Center. Washington Policy Center, a uh, conservative think tank uh, that is absolutely necessary for our state and plays a very important role on all these policy issues. Prior to her work with WPC, uh, Liv was an adjunct scholar focusing on education policy issues, authoring in-depth studies, including an overview of public school funding and an early learning proposals in Washington state. So given the fact we're spending more and more money on education in this state, what's going so terribly wrong with driving students away, Liv? Well, it's the COVID school shutdowns uh, exposed the uh, mediocre program that the public schools were are, have been delivering. You know, remote learning, you'll recall, parents saw what was going on, what was not going on for their children in the public schools. 
and there has been a radical turn to uh, pay attention to topics that have nothing to do with learning how to read, write, and do math and understand science. And so, as you said, the uh, parents that have money have pulled their kids out and are now paying private school tuition, 25% increase in private school enrollment since the COVID school shutdown since 2019 and a 42% increase in homeschooling since 2019. So if parents have time or money, they're pulling their kids out. And, and when you think about it, Michael, you know, how outdated is it to be assigned to a monopoly system in this day and age to, to educate your children when, when the rest of your life is full of choice, choices of cell phone plans, choices of cars, choices of, of uh, all kinds of things it, it just it bicycles bicycles that are electrically driven i mean it's it's amazing what the private sector has has delivered in terms of choice for people but when it comes to public education there is no choice most families are assigned to their local public school whether or not that school is a good fit for their child and so it's amazing to see what other states are doing 32 other states uh, puerto rico the district of columbia all offer families uh, a school choice program that, that gives families direct aid to attend private school or to homeschool and that yeah, we've been I, we've been we've been talking about this for such a long time i mean the idea of choice in education one of the arguments i know that people on the other side use against it is uh what would happen is that uh, uh, people from big cities uh, would all try to crowd into uh, better schools in privileged suburbs. And uh, somehow that couldn't work uh, simply in terms of the financial base of those schools. So what do you do? Well, that, that is a very, uh, that, that view is very static, doesn't understand that when you uh, provide uh, funding uh, in this way to give control to parents over the funding, their funding, so they can decide where to put their dollars, whether to stay. This is a voluntary program. They can stay in their traditional public school if they're happy. But if they're not, they can take their public dollars and, and uh, pay a private school to educate their children. And the result will be, like what happens in the rest of the market, is a, a flourishing and a growth of new private school options. We're seeing that happen in states like Florida, where, uh, they, where school choice has been around and is much more broad-based. It's been around for a much longer time. And so private schools are popping up in these places to serve the demand. So that's what will happen. There's, and there's so this many... would also presumably deal with some of the problems and challenges presented by people who want uh, what is called uh, woke curricula in our schools. Yes, that, and I think it's – I'm so glad you brought that up, Michael, because the research is showing that this is this, – this values proposition, that the dismay that parents feel when they see – that children are being taught false history in the schools, they're being taught to hate their country, are being taught to look at each other through the lens of race, a racist concept, are being taught that, you know, uh, uh, boys can turn into girls, that kind of thing. 
most families don't want that for their children and they are pull and this is uh, this is a factor that is really driving a lot of families away from public education they're saying uh, no way i'm not going to expose my children to this false ideology and you can see why so it's it's an amazing development that after closing the schools for two nearly two years in washington state we were one of the last states to reopen our schools they then turn take a radical left turn in the curriculum to in a distraction that has nothing to do with teaching children how to read write and do math and science and you should see the test scores michael that you know it's it's clear the schools are are, are making other this this woke ideology their top top priority not the teaching of children so no wonder families are pulling the kids out. They, you know, families have to educate their children in the now for the future. And, and the, the problem, let's make it clear, the problem isn't that we spend too little per student. How much does Washington State spend per student now in public schools? So in this last school year, we're spending on average $19,000 per student on average statewide in districts like uh, rich districts like Seattle's, they're spending nearly $23,000 per student. So it's not a lack of funding. And it's what's a typical a tuition for a private school? Oh, the average tuition for a private school is much lower. It's, it's, it's around $12,000 per student for elementary schools and around $16,000 per student for high schools. Now, these are the, you know, because some people will say, oh, you're crazy. They cost, it costs a lot more, but that's only for the very elite private schools. Most private schools are not elite. A lot of them are religious private schools and their tuition is much less. So, and that's about the correct average, 12,000 for elementary school tuition and 16,000 for high school tuition. So, so in other words, the public schools are now spending more money than the average tuition at a private school which shows you that if if uh, we were to pass a school choice program that could w- be done well within the budget of the of the state of, of Washington, I looked it up today. The number is uh, nearly uh, twenty billion dollars that we spend each year on public education from all local, federal, and state resources. Okay, twenty billion dollars. There's plenty of money to. Uh, create a school choice program to meet the needs of children who are clearly not being served well by the public schools, especially low-income children trapped in failing under urban schools, special needs children, foster children. There are uh, now the gifted children are not getting a proper education because this rogue ideology is leading districts to cancel the programs for gifted students. So, well, again, no. what, what you're talking about is improving uh, choice improving the quality of education at the same time that you're saving the taxpayer money which is uh, such an extraordinary uh, deal what people would call a no-brainer with the proper education uh, uh, please go directly to our website look up the Washington Policy Center this is a uh, an operation and an organization that is highly worthy of support and of your interest and Liv Finney appreciate your work and your fountain of information and energy and perspective on uh, these issues uh, when we come back another issue which uh, really has to do with a national crisis of uh, government dysfunction and the rating downgrade 
and the crushing burden in the future of interest on the national debt. We'll get to that and more on The Medved Show. Your daily dose of debate. It's The Michael Medved Show. problems about our politics right now is that so much of it is focused on character assassination on one side or another or all sides uh, basically trying to show that uh, so-and-so is a crook and no the other guy's even a worse crook and they all belong in jail and and meanwhile with all that going on the real malfeasance the real problems of the country don't get the attention that they require. Uh, here's a brute fact, and you can check it out all you want. No one disagrees with this. This is the truth, and it's horrifying. The national debt is on a course to double relative to the size of America's economy in the next 30 years. And as the debt grows, so will the cost of interest payments. The Congressional Budget Office estimates that interest on the national debt will consume one-third of the entire federal budget by 2050. That means that more than 30 cents of every dollar taxed out of the economy will be directed toward the ongoing costs of past deficit spending rather than being used to cover government services. And those government services, by the way, include building up the military, dealing with threats like China and Iran and Russia. In any event, this is from Reason magazine, uh, which uh, particularly on financial issues is uh, traditionally libertarian and solid. The mountain of debt, they write, will slow economic growth, drive up interest payments to foreign holders of U.S. debt, elevate... Uh, the risk of a fiscal crisis, increase the likelihood of other adverse effects that could occur more gradually, and make the nation's fiscal position more vulnerable to an increase in interest rates. Uh, Fitch Ratings is the second of the big three credit rating firms to downgrade the federal government from the highest to the second highest category. In 2011, Standard & Poor's S&P knocked America's debt rating from AAA to AA+, where it remains today. That change followed a tense political standoff over the debt ceiling through the federal government, uh, though the federal government had a now quaint 14, million, 14 trillion pardon me, in debt at the time. The current total is not $14 trillion. The current difference between 2011 and today, 12 years, it's now $32.6 trillion. It's more than twice as much as it was. That's why you have uh, polls that come out that give you information like uh, this. Uh, this is the CNN poll. 
uh, the report uh, about what it shows on people trusting Republicans in Congress or President Biden. Uh, this is clip eight. In this poll, people are also asked who they trust more on the handling of major issues. This really sticks out. Yeah, it does. You know, they ask congressional Republicans or the president of the United States. And we know congressional approval rating tends to be very, very low. Yeah, like in the tank. I mean, like you can say it without even looking at the latest poll. Yeah, that's exactly right. Mass murderers sometimes have greater approval ratings than Congress. And But what we, we see here is that more people actually trust congressional Republicans than President Biden on the most important issues of the day. And this, to me, is a very worrying sign for the president going into the presidential election year because the fact is if he's doing this poorly against congressional republicans imagine how he might do against a presidential candidate from the republican side uh... there there is that obviously uh, then there's a cnn senior data reporter on the popularity of bidenomics uh, listen clip four. and i don't know the reason why that his approval rating is so low at this point is because it comes down to the economy if you look at Joe Biden's approval on the economy right now, it stinks. It is well below 40%. You see it there. 37% approval on the economy. And that's the top issue in our poll. So I don't think it's much of a surprise if you are stinking on the issue that's most important to the American public that your approval rating also stinks. Uh, this is uh, amazing and uh, very well worth paying attention to. Meanwhile, you need some supernatural help at a time like this. Uh, there is a movie, um, a film that was very successful uh, very recently. It's uh, The Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3. It's brand new now on DVD, and it's available on streaming. Uh, so is it worth actually watching? Listen. Now it's time for Medved's Entertainment Minute. One of the favorite teams of the MCU, the Marvel Comics Universe, is back. This time, the highly diverse and inclusive ensemble has to deal with a new diabolical threat played by Chuck Woody Awuji and known as the High Evolutionary in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. My sacred mission is to create the perfect society. He didn't want to make things perfect. He just hated things the way they are. The lavishly crafted and flamboyantly bizarre worlds presented here, including a compelling counter-Earth, help to jam this two-and-a-half-hour movie full of action and emotion, with special emphasis on the deep affection for the cast members for one another. By the film's conclusion, however, it begins to feel wearying rather than wonderful. Rated PG-13, two-and-a-half stars for the ambitious, sometimes over-the-top Guardians of the Galaxy volume three and again uh, just released on dvd and uh, for streaming uh right now there is such a broad based distaste for the prospect of a uh, a presidential race which will seemingly go on forever i mean again we're just coming up to the first debate that will be this month but uh beyond that we will be having a race that will most likely feature Donald Trump as the Republican nominee 
and uh, Joe Biden as the Democratic nominee, both of whom face all kinds of charges against them, the ravages of old age. Uh, Trump is 77, Biden is 80. Uh, it's a uh, not a glorious situation, and it has led a lot of people to consider uh, the idea of third parties. Now, the best thing to do when you have that inclination is to tune in the show tomorrow because we have a, a very special show which gives you a full history of third parties in the United States. And it also explains to you why the Republican Party, even though it was a new party back in 1854 when they first ran candidates all over the country for Congress, by 1860, when Abraham Lincoln actually won and became the first Republican president, uh, the Republican Party was a major party. It was the party that ran the House of Representatives and that had replaced the Whigs. So what about this history of third parties in the United States? Tune in tomorrow uh, to, the, to listen to uh, that history of third parties and uh, there are other questions that are coming up uh, and that are pressing right now uh, there are two full moons uh, in the month of August isn't that remarkable so on Monday we have a uh, special conspiracy show classic program and uh, several outlets are asking this where is Melania Trump you haven't heard much about her. She hasn't turned up at any of the rallies or any of the arraignments. I guess you can understand why she wouldn't be at the arraignments. And Vivek Ramaswamy says he doesn't believe the government has told us the truth about uh, September 11th, 2001. And if he doesn't believe the government, uh, then who does he believe on that particular issue? Uh, we will get to that. Uh, we will get to also the prospect of actually having uh, someone elected president of the United States who is in the midst of facing criminal charges in a variety of trials. This is not just a uh, uh, speculation. It is one of those things that if you actually look at the likelihood of uh, President Trump winning the Republican nomination, it's very, very real. And also, you will be pleased to know that a, an official in charge of promoting Islamic values has uh, just been lost his position because of a sex tape involving violation of Islamic values in the Islamic Republic of Iran. Uh, couldn't happen to nicer people, not